Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Sahil Khanna, co-host of our series, C. difficile, Preparing the Field for Change. This series consists of six podcast episodes for all clinicians from gastroenterology, infectious diseases, hospital medicine, geriatric medicine, primary care, and from academic and community-based settings. We'll explore how to take a patient-centered approach to treatment, diagnosis, explore emerging treatment options, and discuss best practices for transitions of care. With me is Dr. Paul Forrestad. Hi. Good seeing you, Sihil. Good seeing you, Paul. In today's episode, we're going to discuss case management and transitions of care in C. difficile infection. We're joined by two esteemed colleagues, Ms. Becky Perez and Ms. Sherry Latimer. Ms. Sherry Latimer is the Executive Director of the National Transitions of Care Coalition, where she supports the Board of Directors on her mission to improve transitions of care and care coordination for patients, providers, and family caregivers. She's the CEO and President of Integrity Advocacy and Management, providing leadership and organizational redesign and advocacy for patients and family caregivers. Sherry, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Kahana. I appreciate that. And then I have Ms. Becky Perez, who's a Senior Manager of Education for the Case Management Society of America. She's an experienced nurse with a master's degree, a certified case manager, and she's written multiple professional articles, including the one that I'm very excited about is CMSA's Case Management Adherence Guide for C. difficile. Becky, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Kahana. It's a pleasure to be here. Becky and Sherry, thank you very much for taking our time to join me and Paul today. Maybe I'll kick off with the first question that I have. What, in both of your opinion, is the current unmet case management need in patients who have C. difficile infection? Becky, you want to go first? Sure. Thank you. I think there's a couple of things, actually. I think that individuals with C. diff infection, especially recurrent C. diff infection, maybe are not properly identified for case management intervention. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is twofold. And one is most organizations primarily focus on chronic illness management, like heart failure, diabetes, chronic lung disease. And the patient with C. diff may be viewed as just only having an episode of illness that doesn't require ongoing education or support or even care coordination. Another reason that I have found to be true as a result of CMSA's adherence guide on C. diff is that a lot of case managers are are unaware of the devastating consequences of C. diff and how how much impact recurrent infection can have on the health and well-being and quality of life of an individual. You know, Becky, I think you brought up a real a number of really, really important points there. You know, education, health-related quality of life, and insight into this infection uh, are really you know essential for all of us to understand and and to understand through a transition of care process. Sherry, do you have any other concepts around that or any insights that you feel are important to raise? 
I would just like to add, I couldn't agree more with what Becky has said, but I think that one of the biggest, let's say, gaps that we see is that we don't have well-defined transition of care processes within our system. And everyone immediately thinks that that transition is only at that hospital level, and it's not. It is across our continuum of care. And so if we don't have a process in place, we really don't have the process, as Becky said, to identify a case manager that can be on this team that can help in this transition, not only education, but process. So that would be a a huge, significant issue for me. The other one, Paul, is that communication among our disciplines, I don't care where we are in our levels of care, is a real battle. And we're going to constantly have to work on how we can improve that. And um, that is also to the point of including case management in this process. That's wonderful. You know, I I think that, again, we've elucidated quite a few different elements here that both apply to C. difficile, but also apply to transition of care in general, which is which is, I think, a weakness within the within the United States healthcare system and something that we really need to grow better communication between disciplines, better communication between the inpatient and the outpatient world equals better care for patients and then education, of course. So uh, podcasts like this, of course, educate with regards to transition of care uh, and also educate with regards to the elements that we need to understand better. So as we kind of shift gears here, Becky, what are the different components of the case management process in medicine? Can you outline that for us? Sure. So the the case management process is well-known, well-established based on CMSA standards of practice, which have been around since 1991. And the process is identification of patients who will benefit most from intervention engagement with the patient and the patient's family, their caregivers, to establish a trusted relationship. There's the assessment process, and it's not just assessing physical health. It's looking at mental health needs, social needs, and health system needs. And then based on the assessment and and the physician's prescribed treatment, a care plan with targeted goals should be developed, shared with and developed with the patient and the caregiver. Um, And then looking for those interventions that are going to help achieve those goals, whatever that may be. Um, A care plan is a living, breathing document. Um, It should and will change. And we monitor and evaluate the response to those goals and those interventions to see how well that care plan worked for that individual. Ultimately, the goal is to move someone to self-management. And once patients and caregivers are comfortable with self-management, a case manager then closes that case because they've achieved everything they can achieve. Becky, you bring up such important points that we have to individualize this to every patient. We have to individualize this to diseases. And then this is a living and a breathing document. It's not that something you decide today. It's probably not going to be true in a few days as the patient situation changes. Sherry, with all of your work on transitions of care, how do we put this together for C. difficile infection per se, all of these principles of case management? Well, we incorporate the the National Transitions of Care Coalition actually incorporate the thought process of what we call those seven elements, essential elements. And among those is really the incorporation of the case manager through throughout this process. I think what's really important is to highlight that each of those elements has a 
implementation process that requires not one discipline, Dr. Kahana, but is interdisciplinary with the care team. We seem to forget that we are interdisciplinary in the care that we provide to these patients. We are inter-system related because we provide care at so many different levels of care and that that communication interaction is important. So first of all is medication management services that need to be considered. Second is the patient's education and support and engagement in this process. Third is really what we call the transition process, which Becky was talking to, which was really incorporating not only the care plan of the case manager, but the plan of the pharmacist and the physician together, and that those are going to be transitioned to the next level of care, and that there is provider accountability and interaction across this continuum. I keep saying all the time, there's no one discipline responsible, but together as a team, as the saying goes, a village, we can make a difference, but you have to share the information that you did. It's very evident we all do great care at the level of care that we're at, but getting that whole dialogue of what happened to that next level of care is where the huge pitfall really is. And then to follow up, we say follow-up care, because when you transition someone to that next level of care, you don't always have all the tests. You don't always have all of the T's crossed and the I's dotted. So how do you do that in that follow-up care? And I think that one of the things that people forget, and yet they say it all the time, well, the electronic medical record is going to support all this. Our systems are very broken in how well they can engage and talk to each other. So that is a huge barrier that we really want to make sure that we look at clearly and that when we say information transfer, we have transferred it what is best for that patient and that family caregiver, and we have included them with that information as we transfer them. So there are a number of areas that we really need to look at. But I think that incorporating that and our case managers are well ingrained in this process within their own case management process of making sure these transition issues are continued. Wow, Sherry, that was really very helpful and informative. As we start to think about it takes a village kind of a mentality, specific to C. difficile, Becky, do you have any concerns with the C. difficile patients and their families with regards to transition to care, special circumstances? Obviously, we need the broad to occur, and I think it's it's something that all of us are working to improve at, and, and obviously multiple foundations are, but what about C. difficile specifically? I think what's really important, and I, I want to do something a little bit broad first to piggyback onto what Sherry said, when a patient's discharged from the hospital, there should be, the baton should be passed to someone, Right whether that's a health plan case manager, a community case manager, an ambulatory care case manager, so that that support to prevent recurrence can take place. And I think that's the most important role for case managers is to focus on preventing recurrence, preventing readmission. And to do that, we have to be able to engage with patients and families, which sometimes isn't always easy because people can be very distrustful. So there's a lot of effort that goes into developing a relationship and then reinforcing all of that education that's so important for them in the outpatient setting to support them in outpatient care. Patients with C. diff are often very sick. They're often very debilitated. Um, They may isolate themselves because they don't want to give this to anybody else. Families, you know, may worry about the same thing. And so making sure that you know, that they're well taught about hygiene practices to make sure that family and caregivers are aware of the things to look for 
when is somebody dehydrated? When are they becoming dehydrated? What happened? When do, when do I call the doctor? Those are all things that are, you know, that are really important. And especially because C. diff patients can be so very ill as a result of the infection. There needs to be a lot of support outside of the hospital. So that's why passing the baton is so important. Yeah, I like that. The passing the baton is a much better way of saying it than passing the hot potato, right? Passing the hot potato seems to imply that there's a problem. And I think that passing the baton implies that we, as a healthcare system, are in control and we remain in control of helping patients if we pass that baton in a in a smooth way. And I think both of you have alluded to this again, communication, taking a village, but also with C. difficile, there's other elements with transitions of care. There's add-on therapies in addition to that antimicrobial. So I think that education probably will go a really long way in improving communication inpatient, outpatient, making sure patients follow up, making sure patients have access to their treatments, all these other factors. But I think it's really also important to understand that a transition of care also involves a C. difficile. A lot of these patients with recurrences might need additional therapies. And I think that this can really kind of add to that. Now, focusing on C. difficile, Sherry, do you have anything else to add in addition to what Becky said with regards to C. difficile specific transition of care with patients and their family? Yeah, I'd like to add the the side of really the medication management and the financial impact that that can often have. Let's take it from the hospital side. The patient is in the hospital. It is the first recurrence of C. diff. And we have provided a medication process and we wish to transfer that either home or to a uh, long-term care or or post-acute facility. We need to incorporate not only our case manager, but our pharmacist in this process. We really expect our pharmacists today with transitions of care to really uh, embrace medication management services. In this process, we expect our pharmacists to do a thorough assessment, not only of their medication needs for C. diff, but many times these patients have comorbidities. What does this look like with the rest of their medication regime? What is going to be the cost of taking this from inpatient to outpatient. I think as providers, we often forget this makes a huge formulary change and a cost change where in the hospital, we're under part A, out of the hospital, we move to part B. And if we don't have C and D, there can be some huge financial implications. We are actually encouraging our pharmacists uh, within the National Transitions of Care Coalition that part of that role is to really understand the cost work with case management and look how we can provide that both at home if there is a cost issue where they're not going to be able to continue the current treatment that was written, or if there has to be a secondary treatment that this just isn't made by one discipline. This is made with a care team as to that process because the recurrence is going to be at higher risk oftentimes if we change that medication. So I'm going to say this, and Becky and I have worked together for a long time, so um, I'm sure she will agree. The duo team of the pharmacist and the case manager is invaluable in working with these C. diff patients and tying their recommendations to that primary care specialist in the hospital, post-acute, ambulatory, to really ensure that we have continuity that we are giving our patient the best chance possible to not have a recurrence. And then to support, as Becky said, that we have really provided not only the patient, but really the family caregiver they've identified with the education and background and what to do for infectious control that we can really give them the best environment 
to really move forward without having any reoccurrence. And Paul, if I could just piggyback onto that, the other thing that I think is really important that in addition to focusing on, you know, the, the medication management for these patients is also to introduce as part of education when there's, you know, multiple recurrences, the other treatment options that are out there, fecal microbiota transplant, or some of the other options that may be available. I think it's also important, especially for case managers to understand and to be able to advocate for patients, the cost savings actually of, you know, moving to those kinds of of treatments. When you look at the cost of a hospitalization versus the cost of of an FMT, you'll actually be saving money. And so helping case managers and families and caregivers understand other options that are out there when you've got multiple recurrences. Sherry and Becky bring up such important points. One I don't want to lose track of is this partnership between case managers, pharmacists, and healthcare providers, be it physicians or advanced practitioners. The one place where I think I personally lag as a provider is I don't have a good understanding of the lead time between when I write that prescription and when it's going to go through approvals and insurance and the number of days it may take. And I think that's where getting help from case managers and pharmacists, hey, you prescribed this medication for this patient for CDPCL, we expect the patient be in the hospital for another three days. Get to that outpatient script today rather than the day of the discharge to decrease that lag that you have between the patient being discharged from the hospital and actually getting the script in hand so they don't suffer from symptoms while they're outside the hospital. So thank you very much for for bringing that up. Um, And then Becky and Sherry, you bring up a very, very good point in terms of something that Paul is very passionate about, and I've heard him speak on this so many times, that the goal of C. diff treatment is twofold. It's not just treating the acute episode, but it's also preventing the next one from coming back. Paul, over to you for that. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that that's really important, which is, you know, the concept around here is that add-on therapy. So the antimicrobials treat one phase of the infection, but really there's another portion of the infection that can kind of pop up again and cause that recurrence. So the question that I have, and we've kind of alluded to this already, how do we enhance our ability for those add-on therapies to actually be followed through on? And and Sahil had, had noted this, which is as practitioners, we just assume that we write it and it's going to happen, but there's a lot of different moving parts in the backgrounds that we've kind of hinted at a little bit, but can you walk us through a little bit more? Let's say we wanted to prescribe a, a, a fecal transplant or microbiota restoration therapy. What needs to happen for that to actually occur in the background from a logistic standpoint, from a case management standpoint, from a social work standpoint, what needs to happen? Becky, can you kick us off and then Sherry, Want to add your thoughts? Sure. That's actually one of the things that we focused on in in the adherence guide that CMSA produced was developing talking points and even some data. We shared even some data with the case managers so that they could then advocate for those for something like FMT. And we showed them a a comparison of national inpatient costs versus fidexamycin, vancomycin, and then the FMT. And it's glaringly apparent that an FMT is a cost savings. You know, the issue with the FDA and, you know, their lack of approval because of donor issues, I think there's actually could be problematic, but I think if a case manager acts as an advocate as they should, and they produce this information to a payer, 
that should help with proving the point that this is the best thing to do for this person, especially if they've had more than one admission. The cost savings is glaring. Plus, you know, the fact that person's quality of life is going to significantly improve if they don't have to worry about having a recurrence. Excellent. Thank you. And Sherry, what what are your thoughts around this? Because this is obviously a major hot button topic. We now have one FDA approved form of microbiota restoration and one under strong consideration. So I think that the environment is is actively changing in this realm. Yes, I, I would agree with that. I think that what we often see and what we often recommend is it's not the time to try and put all this in place when you've got a patient and you're like, okay, what do we really need to do? I believe that this disease is serious enough and has caused enough both significant physiological issues along with emotional issues for patients and families and even care teams that it behooves us to set this as a pathway and really develop a system of the first level, second level, third level, and where do we in the course of this treatment, really make decisions to use an alternative therapy. When we make those decisions, we cannot do that as a care team without including our patient and family caregivers so that they are coming along and we are coming along on this journey and we are making this as a shared decision. There are many things that go into all the uses of our medications and um, therapies that we have. And that shared decision-making, that informed engagement with patients and family caregivers goes a long way. But again, Paul, I just feel very strongly. We need to do this. We need to do it in advance of having um, patients in. We also need to understand what is happening when we are treating in the hospital and transferring to a post-acute facility, because there are some significant gaps and issues there, both with cost, with treatment, with follow-through. Where we talk about having pharmacy so involved, most of our post-acute facilities do not have a pharmacist in the facility. So trying to pull all this together, if we do this in advance, if we understand what our community resources are, if we understand who we can work with, as Becky said, if we understand where our case managers are throughout this continuum of care, then we're able to support this patient and family caregiver throughout their journey. Otherwise, I think we all know we see the drop we see the gaps, and we'll definitely see the reoccurrence. Well, excellent. You know, that that's really, really important information. Sahil, what are your thoughts? I think what I'm hearing is that that multidisciplinary approach with our case managers, with our pharmacists, with everybody who's providing care to our patient is going to help us achieve that goal of treat this acute episode, prevent the next one, prevent the hospital readmission, save cost, but not only save cost, also try to decrease that suffering that our patients have on a day-to-day basis, decrease their suffering, improve their quality of life. I think that's what we're we're all headed to together. And I firmly believe that for our patients in the hospital, and even for outside the hospital where you've got multidisciplinary team approaches, it's essentially, essentially important for us to establish these presence of care pathways. Um, and I know if anybody needs resources, both Sherry and Becky have put together multiple, multiple manuscripts. Some have been specific to CDFC infections. So please go out and have a look at them. You know, I think one of the really important elements here is we've spoken about the key pieces to putting all this together. We've spoken about the factors to think about broadly with transitions of care. We've also spoken about things specific to C. difficile. But then anybody who's listening can say, well, that all sounds wonderful. And they can certainly refer to the manuscripts. But can Cherry, can you give us a brief overview of where an institution might start 
developing a care transition bundle? Absolutely. I think that, uh, and we get this question often through NTALK, Paul, about how do we create a pathway that is specific to a specific disease state. We strongly suggest that you use those transition seven essential elements, which I defined earlier, and adapt that to the disease state that you are working with. That's the beginning process of what are the things that we need to do? What assessments need to be done? Who do we need to communicate with? And how do we tie this together? Then on top of that is to build a further pathway. Sahil talked about uh, interdisciplinary. These pathways need to be interdisciplinary, intermodal, so that we have multiple options to really look at. And usually some of these are in a progressive way to try one, to try two, to try three, to get where you're going. But those pathways then allow us to have a communication tool to talk with the care team. Many of us know our care teams change all the time. We have new staff coming in, we have staff leaving. So once you've done this, you can't say it's done and we're ready to roll. You constantly need to go over it, improve it, use it as a quality improvement process and really put those pieces in place. When we look at those seven essential elements and we talk about the medication management from the pharmacy and case management side, we then expect those outcomes from the care plan and the pharmacy plan to to do the education tool to the patient and the family caregiver to really talk with the care team about what are the medications we're going to use, when would we consider an alternative therapy, and how do we put that into place? And it doesn't stop there. What is the follow-up? Who is going to follow up then with the patient and family caregiver? I think all of us know when you're giving the final discharge instructions, our patients and families are going to say yes, 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 yes. And then they're going to get home and they're going to go, no, 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 no. I don't remember what they said. So our work is not done. We often say, as, as Becky said, to pass the baton, we call it a handover, because if you think of a baton in a relay run, you don't let go the first runner till the second runner has it. And that's what we want to see in transition, is that we have really held on to this. We have communicated both as the pharmacist, the case manager, and the primary care specialty unit to the individuals who are going to continue to follow up this care. If you don't, we have another gap, we fall through the cracks, and then we're right back where we were in the beginning. The last thing I would say though, I know um, Becky and I talk about this a lot. When you do an assessment for the patient and family caregiver, you need to dig deep into the social determinants of health because there lies a lot of the reasons patients come back into the hospital. Not our clinical pathways, but the issues that are related to those social determinants of health. And that is incorporated in the case manager's care plan and in the pharmacist's care plan and should be brought together to work with the family and the, and the patient. Sherry, thank you. And then Becky, my final question to you, everything that we put together today, how do we implement this for C. difficile patients? Well, as Sherry said, I think we have to establish you know, a standard. And I think there's plenty of evidence to do that. We have everything that NTAC offers and we have the case management process. And I think we just take those things, combine them, and create a standard for that C. diff patient that is recommended for all case managers, whether you're in the hospital or outside the hospital. This is, the, as Sherry was saying, the pathway. And I think we've done that pretty well with what CMSA has developed. But I think that's what's really important is to create that this is the best practice. This is what we know will 
result in helping to prevent recurrences of C. diff and keep people out of the hospital. I just wanted to build on that because I believe that we're going to continue to see new therapies come along for the C. diff population. And we cannot say the pathway is done once we've put it in place. We have to continue to learn. We have to continue to see what works best. And we have to continue to individualize the treatment to the patients and the family caregivers' needs. Becky and Sherry, you both are a wealth of information. Thank you very much. Paul, any final thoughts? You know, I have to say this this has been incredibly informative for our audience and for myself included. Thank you so much for all of these wonderful insights and ideas. I think that patients will benefit from all of this information. And you're right. These things need to be living documents. They can't get stale. We need to reconsider things on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis. Where are we? Where do we want to go? And how do we get there? And transition of care is really a key element because we can, as you said earlier, we can treat top level as an inpatient side, but if there's no transition, things can go south relatively quickly on the outpatient side. So a lot of food for thought. Thank you both for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to our series on CDPCL, Preparing the Field for Change. This series is supported by educational grants from Amun Therapeutics Incorporated, Serious Therapeutics, and Fering Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. Special thanks to today's guests, Becky Perez and Sherry Latimer. For additional resources on CDPCL, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. In the meantime, say hello on social media. You can reach AGA on all platforms at the handle Merrick Gastro Association. For more GI education, with, visit AGA University at AGA u.gastro.org Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.